The reading from the New Testament this evening is Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And as he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, would you join me as we pray together? Father, we read these passages and we long for you to be as alive and powerful as you have recounted to us, and we know that you are. We pray that you would work mighty wonders in our midst, even tonight. In Christ's name, amen. When an organization like Make-A-Wish Foundation or Extreme Makeover chooses someone to gift a dream to, uh, normally it makes sense why. We can see that it's a sick child that's in a desperate situation or someone who doesn't have material resources to uh, redo their home or take care of their home. It makes sense to us. When Jesus heals people, most of the time, it makes sense to us. We can see it's a leper. It's someone oppressed by a demon. It's someone who's sick. But every now and then, it doesn't make sense. It perplexes us. And this certainly would have been the case with the original audience that witnessed this miracle with the centurion. I mean, just for a moment, consider it from their perspective. This guy was basically the equivalent of a Nazi captain, right? He was a commander in the Roman army that both occupied and defiled their homeland. More so, the generation that would have read Matthew's gospel after the initial one probably had relatives and friends that were killed and enslaved in the siege of Jerusalem. I mean, make a wish for him? Do something kind for him? It really doesn't make sense. It would have perplexed them. More so, Jesus not only grants his request, but he bestows upon him possibly the highest compliment that anybody gets in the New Testament ever, that he has faith like no one else. I mean, this guy gets the double header, right? What was it that moved Jesus to heal this man's servant and praise his faith? And I think it was two things. One, understanding the reality of Jesus' authority and understanding the range of Jesus' authority. 
Let's look at those two things together. First of all, understanding the reality of Jesus' authority. This miracle takes place in Capernaum, and that's the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had made that his temporary home base for ministry. That's where he was spending time and doing ministry, and it was a trade city. It was a crossroads city, so it made sense to have Roman guards there so the commerce wouldn't be interrupted, that the market could continue to, to go on and prosper in Rome. And we're told he's a centurion, and he led, that meant, about 80 troops. This was a basic fighting battalion that he led. And typically, centurions were very talented soldiers themselves. That's how they got there. So that's a bit of the professional profile that we know. But what about this guy personally? Now, Matthew doesn't tell us much of that, but if you move to the Gospel of Luke, Luke includes more personal details. First of all, he tells us that this man was actually a friend to Israel. We're not sure he may have been a convert into Judaism, but he actually financed a synagogue for that town, and it still stands today. And we know that it, were actually, it was actually Jewish followers that went on his behalf to Jesus. And so this was a guy that was held in high esteem among the Jewish community. Now it's interesting, why does Matthew not include that in his account? I believe it's because he wants to focus our attention not on the centurion's good deeds, but his incredible need. That's what he highlights. Not his good deeds, but his need, his desperate need. And what's that need? He has a servant that's sick. Now, one of the things we know about centurions is this. It was a lonely business. You weren't allowed to get married during your 20 years of service, nor could you have a family. You weren't allowed to socialize with the soldiers that were in the battalion. You also found yourself many times just by yourself moving because you were deployed to different places. It was likely the people closest to this guy were his servants or this servant. In fact, the term that Matthew uses is the same term that's used of a child. So it's an affectionate term for servant. He loves this servant. He is burdened by the sickness of this servant. I mean, this might be the person that means the most to him on the planet in their relationship. But it's interesting how he makes his request known. In fact, it's actually not a request at all. He just reports a problem, right? He doesn't ask Jesus. He just reports a problem. You know, and some of us are like that, right? It's very hard for us to ask. We'll report problems instead of asking. You know, or maybe what we'll say, you know, we beat around the bush. Instead of saying, can I have a ride home? We'll say, hey, did you drive tonight? Right? Or instead of saying, uh, I really have someone to talk to, we might say, are you doing anything right now? Right? It's hard for us just to say it, to lay out the need. Was that the case with the centurion? Who knows? But we do know this. He says that he regards himself unworthy for Jesus to come under his roof. And I don't think it's a poor self-image. I think it's because he grasps who Jesus is. He understands the authority of Jesus. And that's why he says things like he does. He basically makes his report to the one that's in authority. 
And, you know, sometimes we forget who it is we're before. In fact, we can be in the presence of greatness and not even know. For instance, like uh, the two girls that asked a stranger to take their picture for them, not knowing that it was five-time gold medal winner, 14th world champion winner, Katie Ledecky. In fact, they didn't know until after she left. They were probably thinking we could add our picture with her. Or like the singer Annie Lennox, who was ranked in Rolling Stone magazine as you know within the top 100 singers. She got a letter from a talent scout who said, you know, I've listened to your stuff. I think it has potential. And if you'd like, you know, I think I can get you a little bit of radio play. Or King Abdul from Jordan, who was sometimes dubbed the stealth king. He liked to move into his cities and communities disguised so no one would know and figure out what's going on in the street. And he once did this. He dressed up, put a beard on, and disguised himself as a television producer and went where the merchants were so he could hear how their complaints about the red tape to do their business, you know, whether they were, were legit or not. In fact, he began to get hassled by some security guards, and they wouldn't leave him alone, so finally he just pulled off the beard and smiled. There are times that you and I may be before someone great and not understand it. Now, we know this. The centurion knew enough about Jesus' authority to say these things and ask him. But here's the point. For anybody living today, and for those of us that are professing Christians, we know so much more about the authority of Jesus. God has told us so much more about the authority of Jesus. The question is, are you taking advantage of it? Are you trusting in it? For instance, when you hear Jesus say, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, does it make you more courageous? Or when you hear in the gospel that Jesus' authority condemned sin, it canceled the written code, the curse that was against you, it has been judged unworthy and condemned, does it help you sleep better at night? How's your conscience? When you hear that you have authority to enter the most holy place where Jesus Christ, the high priest, is, so you can find mercy in your time of need, does it make you feel like you have help? When you hear Jesus say, just as the Father sent me, I am sending you, behold, all the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go, does it quicken your pace? Does it give you purpose? Does it make you want to move ahead? When Jesus says by his authority, you can ask anything in my name according to my will, and it will, might be, maybe it will, it is, right? It's not might be, possibly. It will be given to you. Anything in my name according to my will, it will be given to you. Does it make you pray? Or lastly, when you hear what the epistles tell us, that Jesus Christ, if we apprehend him, is actually seated on the throne room of God far above all rule, authority, dominion, and power, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come, and that is for the church, that he might be head to the church. Does it make you less afraid about the culture and the way the culture changes? I'm asking you, friends, 
Have you reckoned with the authority of Jesus Christ in your place of need? Have you? Have you appealed to that? And it's interesting how the centurion arrives at this information. How he come to understand the reality of Jesus' authority. He reasons it through his vocation, his job, his daily life. That's how he gets this understanding. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this. Just like a mother may learn about the tenderness of God as she cares for her child, right? Just like a teacher may learn about the wisdom of God as they spend their days instructing just like a city worker may learn about the stewardship of the earth as they maintain the city. Just like a lawyer may understand about the justice of God as they strive for justice. Just like a student may understand what it means to be a student of God as they spend time day after day in class, looking at the clock and bored. What I'm asking you is this. Whatever you do day to day, have you come to know God better through it? Have you come to see him through your day to day? That's really how this guy came to understand authority. And let me make this clear. Jesus healed other people that didn't demonstrate such great faith, even some possibly with no faith. But what got him so tickled here, and this is so different, is the authority of this man. I'll call it just say the word authority. This guy has just say the word faith. He literally says that, right? He says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. I don't need an incantation. I don't need a potion. I don't even need you to come. I believe so much in the authority of God that comes through you, Jesus Christ. Just speak. Just say it if it's your will. He may have not known that the Son of God spoke the universe into being, but you and I know better. He may have not known that Lazarus was raised, raised from the dead by a word, but you and I know better. He may have not known that Peter one day, defeated as a denier, would be restored by a word from Jesus, but you and I know. We know the power of the Word of God. If God exists and God speaks, it cannot not be powerful, right? We give God His due. And my friends, this is the very thing that He's given you and I. His Word. His promise of forgiveness. His promise of restoration. His promise of healing. Whether it's temporary healing now or complete healing for eternity. He has given His Word to you and I that we might understand the reality of his authority. And he, he gives that word for others, too. Because this servant is healed not by his own request, but the intercession of someone else. You and I interceding for one another. The greatest gift that you could give to one another is to pray, to intercede, I mean, it's the most powerful thing we can do for one another. You know someone that is in need. I know someone that's in need. Begin to appeal to God's authority on their behalf. There's nothing else more kind and loving you could do for them. 
Start there. It'll actually lead us to do other things. So we have to begin, as this centurion is, really reckoning with the authority of God. Do I believe it? Do I think it's real? And if so, is it making any difference in my life? In the place that he's given me. But there's also something to be said for the range of authority. Not just literally, but figuratively. I mean, Jesus heals this man from far away. It's a miracle mile, right? He heals him from a distance. But what does that show us? It reminds us that God has the ability to transform people all over the place and throughout all time. There's no one out of the reach of God. His arm is not too short to save. And I don't know about you, but there's people in my life, there's sins in my life, there's issues in my life, and I think, God, it's just out of your reach. It's just a little bit out of your reach. Your authority comes here and it stops. Isn't that the way we think? But it goes as far as it needs to go, my friend. It finds us in a black hole. It finds us high in a mountain. It finds, us, it finds you if you're up in space or you're down low. And Jesus demonstrates this. He talks about the wide range of this as he goes, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There he's talking about the heavyweights, right, of Israel. The fathers of Israel right there in the kingdom of heaven. But when he talks about the east and the west, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the nations. He's talking about many of us here, Right? He's saying that by his authority, even though Jesus will die and raise, he will collect a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. A pan-ethnic bride he will suit and he will marry her. And this, of course, the centurion is a first fruit of. Most of Jesus' miracles were for those within Israel, but the centurion is a first fruit. He's a hint of what's to come. And it's something that was said way back from the beginning of the Bible when God said to Abraham, through you, Abraham, I will bless the nations. And when God said in Isaiah, I'm going to have a big feast and it's going to include all the people, all the nations. Or when Jesus said to his disciples, go now, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. I'm empowering you, go now to the nations and preach the gospel, teaching them to obey and follow me. This is what Paul called those that were far off. In Ephesians chapter 2, he'll say, Christ came to preach to those who were near and those that were far off. And, and I've got to imagine most of the Israelites standing around, I mean, those that really liked the guy, okay, but it, even if they didn't like the guy, they probably would have been, why are you giving the children's goods to the dog here? You know, I, I'm thinking they're probably pretty offended. Remember, this guy is indeed like a Nazi captain. And you know what's funny? Jesus does not tell him to stop being a soldier. He must be trying to remind us that any vocation could be done to the glory of God, or maybe that we shouldn't be too preoccupied, over-interested with our national enemies. But either way, he doesn't tell him to do that. And I got to believe people were probably pretty mad about that. There's a precedent for this actually in the Old Testament. You know the story of Jonah. Most of us, we know the story of Jonah because it got swallowed by a big fish. We don't really think about the rest of the story. It's far more interesting than the big fish, even though that's pretty interesting. 
right? God tells Jonah, I want you to go preach to these wicked Ninevites. And they were wicked. I mean, you and I should not like wicked people. We'll love them, but we don't need to like them. He didn't want to go. He tries to run. God captures him, gets him there. He goes and he preaches and gets what's happened. They repent. They enjoy the grace of God. And you know what, says, you know what Jonah says? I knew you were going to do that. You're a God that has steadfast love and grace. I knew you'd be gracious. And he just pouts. He's angry. Because when God gives grace and mercy to people we don't like, we go, well, wait a second. I should have that. So, you know, Jesus works in there. And uh, sadly, this is the state of many that he has to deal with. He says, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about eternal judgment and hell. But, you know, this is the interesting thing. We often think that the doctrine of hell is to warn unbelievers outside of the church. But it actually is more often used to warn unbelievers in the church. Five times when Matthew uses warnings from hell, he's actually talking to those that have already received God's goodness and kindness and gospel. Which means, it reminds all of us that the question isn't, did I grow up in a Christian family? Am I a member of a church? You know, do I not do all the things that my wicked friends do? Am I a minister, a more ordained officer? Do I work for the staff of the church? Those aren't the questions. The questions are this, do you yield to the authority of God? And I have to tell you, it's one of the most unpleasant parts of my ministry is when, and we all do this as a community, there's someone that professes to be a Christian, but their life is like clearly clearly and radically out of bounds with something Jesus has clearly commanded. And you have that unpleasant task, right, to actually confront them. And the response to it is, I have another interpretation, I don't really care, and they leave and just go to another church. When you and I reject the authority of God that has been brought clearly to us, we should feel warned. We should feel warned. But the point I'm trying to make isn't that this warning is to make us walk on eggs. Because that doesn't get you anywhere. You see, the problem is we shouldn't have contempt for God's kindness. So my appeal is receive God's kindness. Receive his grace. Don't harden your heart to his love. Soften yourself to his love. Receive the goodness, the miracle of salvation. The miracle of what he has done through Jesus Christ in the gospel. Receive it. Because the lesson of Jonah and the centurion is this. If God would be that kind and merciful to his enemies, how much more his children? How much more than those that know him? Jesus told us this. He said, you know, if a, if a father who's evil is going to give bread, it, lavish gifts on his children, how much more will he do? But we struggle, right? Because, we, you know, we always have this list. I'll never forget um, it, when I was, um, I, I, I don't know if I was in seventh or eighth grade, and um, I, I wanted an electric guitar, had an acoustic guitar, and I was ready for the electric guitar. 
And, um, you know, I had talked to one of my friends, and um, I had this idea of what I wanted. And my father, knowing that the best thing to do would go to my teacher, went and said, well, what should I get him? And uh, my teacher had told me, you know, I think this would be best for you. And I remember we walked by a music store. This reminds me of like that Christmas, the, the, the Christmas story, you know, with little Ralphie where he, oh, I don't really want, you know, do you want this, Tinker Toys? I don't really want Tinker Toys. So we walked by the thing. We walked by a music store in downtown Pittsburgh, and I'm like, I look at something, I go, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't really want that guitar and that stuff he's telling me. So Christmas, Christmas, you see what's coming. Christmas comes, the present is opened up. It's that guitar and amp that my teacher had said. And the first things out of my mouth, my dad, are, I'll take it back. <laughs> I was just like, what a jerk. You know, the kindness of God to me, right? But it wasn't what I thought I wanted. That guitar ended up being a great guitar. And guess what? I wasn't even near good enough to have the guitar I thought I should have. God means to be kind for you and I. And he's using his authority on your behalf. And so, to wrap it up, I mean, the range of his authority ought to make us, when, when we begin to connect in this, we then get bolder in our ministry. Whether it's to talk to someone in this room, or to serve someone on your block, or to move into the city, or even at work, right? Christianity is not... Um, Everybody's favorite religion right now, okay? If you haven't noticed. But the authority of God needs me to say, you know, it's not about whether I'm well-liked. Because he's my fortress and he's my rock and I go in his authority. So, the question I put before you and I tonight, will the authority of God change your reality? Will it change your ministry? This week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the authority that your son has and possesses and that we have been bestowed upon with his spirit. Lord, help us to trust you and to delight you like the centurion. In Christ's name, amen.